And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, uh, back from a week off. Bruce, I was in Dallas a few weeks ago. Now you are in Dallas. I can't believe it, but it is media day season. It is. Uh, we are less than 24 hours away from Big 12 media days kicking off at AT&T Stadium, which is the Cowboys Stadium. Can't wait. So um, interesting year in the Big 12. I would think you would agree with me that the biggest story for the next two days here will be Steve Sarkeesian taken over at Texas. What else would you be interested about if you were here? I saw where Lincoln Riley decided uh, not to bring his quarterback, Spencer Rattler, to media days. That's always one of those things that only reporters care about. Nobody, mm-hmm. Nobody's going to take much sympathy on you guys. He's not going to be there. But um, what's interesting to me, and you and I talked about this a little bit offline, is how he's only played one season. And it was a pretty good season, though it got off to a shaky start. And now he's already being labeled as the possible number one pick next year. He was one of the first guys to announce a whole bunch of um, NIL deals. Like, it's almost like he's shaping up to be the face of the sport this year. And I'm just a little uh, cautious because I'm not sure he's actually earned that yet. What do you what do you think? Um, I think that Lincoln Riley is getting a lot of the benefit of the doubt here. This is his latest quarterback, and obviously he's had a couple of Heisman winners, and Jalen Hurts came in and did very well. So I think there's that. Um, you know, to hear first pick of the draft chatter, and you know, I've talked a lot about how this time of year some things go into overdrive on that. I mean, he's definitely talented. I think he is different than you know he's certainly not a dynamic an athlete or i don't think it's dynamic a thrower as kyler murray um he's not physically as big as either certainly jalen hurts but even baker was a thicker guy um in terms of take a pounding when you see uh spencer rattler in person he's smaller uh he's not as short as kyler and definitely he's taller than that but he's just not a big guy and i think you know look there's he put up good numbers last year. I think his interception or TD was or 20 TD interception was 28 to seven, which is very strong, but to the degree of the hype has kind of kicked in. Um, I guess I'm a little surprised of it, you know? Um, I don't know. Well, it's, it's not surprising because of the reason you said, right? Like if any coach in America is going to get the benefit of the doubt that, he's going to turn out a star quarterback as Lincoln Riley. Um, the difference of course, is that he, you know, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray and Jalen hurts were all transfers who were pretty 
far along in their careers by the time they uh, started at Oklahoma or before, by the time he uh, took, you know, took over as head coach, um, you know, Rattler actually was the first one that came in as a high school player, as a, as a highly hyped high school recruit, you know, he was only a retro freshman last season. So it, I, to me, he was more of a, at least last year seemed like much more of a work in progress than the guys that had came before him. And he still ended up with pretty good stats. Now I'm not saying the guy's going to fall on his face or anything. They don't necessarily even need him to be the next Heisman winning quarterback to be very good because of all the, all the players around him. And we've talked, I think on here earlier when we've talked about the transfer portal that you guys, you and Max Olson on your transfer portal breakings, Eric Gray, the running back coming over from Tennessee is number one on the whole thing. Uh, that's a pretty big pickup. Uh, Kennedy Brooks, who opted out of last season, but had a lot of big games uh, earlier in his career, will be back. So, like, it should be another very prolific offense. And the receivers um, are really talented. I mean, they have Marvin Mims is terrific. They have, um, you know, some really gifted young receivers there. I don't know. Like, they lose Creed Humphrey up front, who was the anchor of the offensive line. Uh, Bill Biedenboe is one of the best offensive line and run game guys in the country, but we'll see how good the offensive line is going to be. I mean, I think that, again, as we said, I think so much of this goes back to the benefit of the doubt for Lincoln Riley. The pieces are there for Spencer Rattler to put up a huge season. Um, we've had, this is my point. We've had great quarterbacks at Oklahoma in the last five years. They haven't really done damage in the playoff. Baker came close to beating Georgia, but he didn't win that game. I mean, I feel like the defense is better at, at Oklahoma now than it's been at any point in the last five or six years. So maybe Spencer Rattler doesn't need to be as great as Baker was or Kyler Murray to lead them to a playoff win. How? Yeah, that's the thing. That? That's the thing. Like if you if you if you get past whether Spencer Rattler is the number one pick or not, at the end of the day, I think this Oklahoma team on paper is better positioned to actually win games in the playoff, maybe even win the national title than any of the ones before it, because they have a defense. People might not believe that, but they got much better on defense last season. Um, they have, I think they'll have a, you know, a great uh, defensive front in particular. Um, and they create turnovers and they're going to, you know, they're going to score a lot of points. It's not like they need that defense to, to allow 17 points per game. They just need it to not be, I mean, that, that 2018 team that played Alabama in the orange bowl, like they had one of the worst defenses in the country. They made it to the playoff because Kyler Murray could outscore anyone. I don't necessarily think they'll have to do that this year. And then I think if they get into a semifinal against a really potent, uh, you know, Ohio state, LSU, Alabama type team, Clemson, that they're not going to be so thoroughly overmatched like they've been in the past. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, the other thing that, and we'll hold off on Texas for a bit, because we've talked a lot about Sark and Texas this offseason anyway, but um, Iowa State got, I think, of the votes, and I'll look back at this just to, there were 39 first place votes in the for the Big 12. Oklahoma got 34, 35 of them. Iowa State got four of them. Um, I, I, and I was not one of the voters in this poll, by the way, in this media poll, but I would say this. I am kind of split. I think Oklahoma's really good. I think Iowa State's really good. I think Iowa State can be a playoff team. 
Yeah, well, you think about it, and I think that for the most part right now, people look at Iowa State as, hey, you know, they've, they're getting pretty good, but not on the level of Oklahoma. But then you think back to the last couple of years, and th- th- those teams have been very even when they've played each other. Um, Iowa State upset them a few years ago. They Two years ago, I remember coming down to like a two-point conversion. And then last year, Iowa State beat them in the first game. And then the Big 12 title game, you know, had the ball with a chance to win at the end and Oklahoma stopped them. So, like, I know Oklahoma probably has more guys that are highly regarded by the NFL, but but by all indications, Iowa State is not far behind them, if at all. And they're bringing their whole team back. I mean, I know that's the recurring theme in college football this year. Everybody's bringing everybody back because of the super seniors. But Iowa State in particular, it's it's the whole starting lineup practically. And certainly – you know, you can't get a more experienced quarterback than Brock Purdy. You've got an all-American running back in Brees Hall. The defense, I think, will probably be one of the best in the country or should be on paper. So to me, it's just like, can they take the next step to being, I mean, last year was the best team in school history and they still lost three games. You know, can they, they take came that in, next they step? They finished ninth in the country. So yeah. um, do you think I'd be crazy to say that Iowa State can be a playoff team? No, I don't think that's crazy because I think if they win the Big 12, they will be, unless it's a, you know, nine and three Big 12 champion. Uh, if they win the Big 12, they're probably going to the playoff. Uh, remember, they play Iowa. So that's an opportunity for a big non conference win. And that's a good Iowa's Iowa. Be really team. good too. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you said it in, in passing, but like on this preseason all Big 12 team, you know, people know about Brees Hall. Brock Purdy's been there a while. Uh, Charlie Kohler is one of the best tight ends in the country. They're deep at tight end. Xavier Hutchinson's, a, you know, is a terrific receiver and they have a couple of like all conference borderline, all American offensive linemen there. So this is a really talented team. And I think they're really well coached. And you and I both agree that Matt Campbell's is pretty much about as good as there is. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, would you be shocked if they won a playoff game? I would be shocked if they won a playoff game just because I, you know, you know, my theory, I think there's a ceiling to the overachiever type teams like Wisconsin. And I think Iowa state falls in that category. Uh, They're they're It's just a whole other animal when, if they have to go play in Alabama or Clemson or Ohio state, that's brimming with five Georgia that's brimming with five stars. Uh, But that doesn't mean they can't win the big 12. Um, Now I want to bring up something though. If you are an Oklahoma State fan listening to this podcast right now, okay, you've heard us go on and on about uh, Iowa State, who, and you go, hey, wait a minute, we beat Iowa State last year. You've heard, you heard you say right off the top, I think, you know, the big story at Media Days will be Texas. Hey, uh, we have been a better program than Texas for like most of the last decade. Um, they haven't been you know, an 11, 10, 11 win team for the last couple of years, like they were earlier under Gundy, but they're pretty good. And as, the, as I get close to this, as I've been looking at the big 12 a lot more this week, I'm thinking, I know we're thinking of this as a two team race, but we're, would it really shock you if Oklahoma state got into the mix and, and maybe even finished ahead of one of those teams? Because uh, much like we were talking about with Oklahoma, they actually have a defense. Now Oklahoma state's never been good on defense. They finished, they led, as, as Max pointed out in his state of the program, they led the country in third down defense last year. Trace Ford is a big time uh, defensive end for them. Um, 
And then, of course, on offense, they're always good on offense, although you lose Tylon Wallace, you lose uh, Chuba Hubbard, who had a actually wasn't very good last year. I don't I think he was injured. Um, There's going to be questions there. But at the end of the day, like they went six and three in the Big 12 last year. They beat Miami in a bowl game. I think feel like they're being pretty overlooked. Well, first of all, almost everybody has beaten Miami in a bowl game. It feels like in the last decade. So um, I think, I think Spencer Sanders is a very interesting quarterback. He's really talented. Can he be more consistent? That's a question. I mean, he's injured early in the year. Here's where I come back to on Oklahoma state. And look, I, I'm trying to think I might've done, I've done at least two, if not three bedlam games. That's the benchmark for them. They've lost the last six times they've played Oklahoma, and almost all of them have been by double digits. I Oklahoma outs. I think there was one time they were within single digits in that game. You know, so I think they're a good program. I just think, you know, I need to see them beat Oklahoma before I'm like, okay, I'm going to see them as a team that that um, you know I've seen Iowa State beat Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't see them as a possible playoff team, but I could see them being, you know, going 10 and two and going to a New Year's six bowl. I could see that more from Oklahoma. Let me put, say it this way. I could see that more likely from Oklahoma State than I could from Texas, who is going to get infinitely more coverage this week. Well, you know why they're getting it. Yeah, look, I'm not saying look, I, I don't have Texas as one of my top two teams. The reason why Texas is going to get a lot of coverage is because they have a new head coach. That's the point. And the, and the head coach has an interesting background, right? And it's, so that's why, I mean, if you're, if you're Mike Gundy, if you're Gary Patterson, you shouldn't take it as a slight. They also have a guy who might be one of the most exciting players in the whole country, Bijan Robinson, who, you know, I know he, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he wasn't like the, the bell cow for them last year, but when he got a chance, I mean, the guy averaged 8.2 yards per carry he would expect him to be a big, big part of Sark's offense there. Yes. Um, there's a story, a little piece that we're doing at the athletic where we're just kind of going through um, things that, you know, we noticed from the preseason poll and there was, you know, they, uh, our editor Kate asked us for like kind of a bold prediction. I wouldn't be shocked if Spencer Rattler, who's the preseason big 12 player of the year pick isn't, and it's Bijan Robinson. Um I think he probably more than anybody at Texas will benefit from the coaching change because Steve Sarkeesian will run the heck out of the ball and he's going to do play action, but he's going to really build off that. Whereas I'm not sure Tom Herman was wanted to lean on that in the same way. So I think that's going to be a really interesting fit there. Um, you have a guy who looked great when he played and when they leaned on him. So I think they're going to lean on him a lot more. I wonder if in hindsight, if, if Herman was in a bit of a tough spot because Sam Ellinger was clearly the face of the team and, and was often there, you know, at many times also their primary rusher. And, and so it may, might've made it a little more difficult Whereas I think Sark, we don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. Um, and he showed last year, as Alabama's offensive coordinator, like he found every way possible to get Devontae Smith the ball. Everybody knew they were going to get the ball to Devontae Smith and he still got open and he still got the ball. And so they'll find he'll, he will find creative ways beyond just handing the ball off uh, to make sure 
B. John Robinson's a big part of that offense. But again, like we can we we can hype them up all you want. There's no guarantee they're going to make it through the first two games. They open against a very good Louisiana team who's bringing everybody back, and then a tricky one week two at Arkansas. Okay, Stu, giving you a chance. Are you predicting Steve Sarkeesian is going to start out 0-2 as the Longhorns head coach? That's what it sounds like. No, I'm predicting he'll start 1-1. One one. I don't know which one will be which, but I could see him going 1-1 one one in those games. Yeah, the Louisiana opener is just a thankless one because – you win and people are going to go, yeah, you beat a Sunbelt team. You, you know, like, but you could easily lose to a team that like, you want to talk about everybody back. I mean, they have so much back. They were really good last year. It's not like no matter how hot it is in, in Austin, it's not like people from Louisiana, from Lafayette, Louisiana are going to be like not used to it. So I, I just think this was a game that was put on the schedule a long time ago. I maybe in the Charlie strong days and Louisiana is much better now than, you know, when they were back then. You know, Mark Hudspeth had some good seasons, but um, this is just a, it's an ugly beginning potentially for Sark to have to deal with that right out of the gate. If I were Sark at Big 12 Media Days this week, I would, I would ask his SID, John Bianco, to identify who are the AP voters in the room. And then I would go up to each of them and hand them a nice note that says, dear AP voter, please rank Louisiana in your preseason poll. Thank you. Uh, because that changes, if you could just put a number in front of them, if they're number 23, Louisiana, then you get, if you beat them, you get to claim a top 25 win in your first game. And if you lose, it's not quite as damning, right? Cause they were top 25 team. I think your friend, Derek Crocker, who's the, who's the uh, programming at Fox would appreciate Louisiana being ranked as well. They're, they're in my, uh, they're in my top 25. I don't know if I, I kind of doubt they'll be in the, in the main one, but I, you know, they were very good last year, and they bring everybody back. So. I would be, I'm with you on that. I think, uh, I think you should have them in the top 18. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, give me one other storyline you are focused on in Dallas. Only one. Um, 
Can I give you more than one? Yes. Okay. Um, the start of the Lance Leipold era at Kansas? No, but by the way, it, just since you brought it up, like, can the can the Kansas Les Miles, Jeff Long era, like, go out with a bigger, like, you know, um, stink bomb than, you know, it's <laughs> like, I don't know. There's a story in the um, Kansas City Star. What was it, over the weekend? Yep. Pretty and damning. It, yeah, it's just like... I don't know. Anyway, um, if people don't know the play, it was a former player, recent former player who uh, says he was being um, basically threatened. threatened by teammates who lived in the same apartment building as him. And they were they got into it. They were retaliating against him. He reported he and his father reported th- this to the program. And not only did they not punish those guys, they basically paid him off to, to go back to his home in West Virginia. And, uh, and the guy's got texts and it's, you know, it's not a good look. I don't know that. I mean, they're already fired, so I don't know what more you can do, but. Uh, Les wanted to basically settle it like in, by Oklahoma drill. That's right. Which doesn't surprise me because when back at LSU and on this, there's just yet another example. When you have a zany personality, it overshadows a lot of things like, he was he had a terrible record on on disciplining uh, guys at, at LSU. He had guys that were charged with really serious crimes who uh, never got kicked off the team. So, you know, color me shocked that he wanted to decide it with the Oklahoma drill. Okay. So these are the two things that I I two subplots to me that are interesting. One is a little bit of a pet peevish, and I, I feel like I'm more um, intrigued and interested in TCU than, you know, probably the average media person is and whatnot, just from being around them for years. But, um, I feel like they're going to be better than everybody else thinks. I mean, I feel like that a lot, but like, I think Max Duggan is really talented quarterback and I think they can have, I think they can, you know, they're pick the fish finish fifth. I don't disagree with that unnecessarily, but it doesn't shock me that they're there. I think they are a, they are potentially dangerous team. Um, and then the other s- storyline that I, I'm interested in is Dave Aranda had a really rough debut season. Now, granted it was a year in a COVID craziness. So to put in a new system was a real challenge. He blew up the offensive staff and has brought in um you know, a different system really and reunited with Jeff Grimes, who he'd worked with at LSU. Jeff Grimes was the offense coordinator at BYU. Um, I'm interested to see what they're going to look like in year two. I mean, I don't think expectations are particularly higher. They're picked coming coming eighth in the league. Uh, but, you know, you and I, I think both uh, have a lot of affinity for Dave Aranda. He's one of the more thoughtful people in coaching. He is um, he's brilliant in a lot of ways. So, um, but well, let's see what it's going to like translate to as a, uh, as a power five head coach in a league where offense is king and defense is, hasn't always been at the forefront. Hey, that's an outdated stereotype. My friend, there was, there was better defense being played in the big 12 last season than the sec. Okay. Yeah. I noticed that Baylor was picked eighth. And then I saw that Texas tech was picked ninth and I kind of winced. Matt Wells has not really uh, uh, acquitted himself well since since replacing Cliff Kingsbury. They're eight and fourteen in his first two seasons, and I don't, you know, they're basically 
He fired his OC who came with him from Utah State. He's bringing back Sonny Cumbie, a very familiar name, obviously, for Texas Tech fans who had been at TCU for a long time. And uh, Tyler Shock, the Oregon quarterback, uh, is coming in. And I don't know. I, maybe he'll be the, the savior. But, like, there's not a lot. You look at Texas Tech, there's not a lot that makes you think they're going to have a big breakthrough season. And, and he's kind of already on the hot seat. Like, I remember Curry Hokut had to put out one of those statements. It's never good when your ADS put out a statement saying you will, you will remain the coach after just two seasons. Yeah. I mean, there's, this is curious timing there. Like I think just having uh, covered Matt Wells some at Utah state, he did a really good job there. I was a little surprised he took the job in Lubbock, um, but it, it's gotten off to a slow start. I think he's took a bunch of transfers. We'll see if they can make a big jump. I don't think he needs to go nine and three to save his job, but I think he's got to have a winning record, I think, to help give people the feeling that, okay, this is going to get done. Um, and it's, it's uh, I don't know, how confident are you that he can at least get them to seven wins? Not very confident. I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, Certainly there's three non-conference gimmies in there, I think. So, nope, that's not true. They've got Houston in the first game. That's, that's hardly a gimme. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think this conversation is just making me realize that the big 12 is a pretty tough, deep conference. We haven't even mentioned West Virginia. Who's been making great strides under Neil Brown or Kansas state. Always very well coached. Um, Skylar Thompson's back for like his 18th season as their quarterback. Um, While I do think, well, I do find it um, hard to picture anyone other than Oklahoma or Iowa State winning it. Um, I would say everybody outside of Kansas after that is a pot, you know, has that potential to be 500 or better. So um, tough conference, tough conference. How many um, teams realistically do you think can win the Big 12 this year? Two. I just said it, two. That's it. So you don't think, you don't think Texas, TCU – or Oklahoma State could somehow surprise and win the league. Well, like I said, Oklahoma State's the one that I could see sneaking in there. I could see them even making the Big 12 title game. Honestly, I'm having a hard time seeing Oklahoma not win it, but I, but I do think Iowa State is is right there with them. Why are you so skeptical on Oklahoma State? I'm sorry, on Iowa State. It's not so much that I'm skeptical on Iowa State. I think they're very good. I think Oklahoma, it's what I said earlier. I think Oklahoma, who's already won the conference, what, six years in a row, mm-hmm. that on paper, this has a chance to be his most complete team so far, like in Riley's most complete team, because they're going to score points and they're actually going to be not just decent, but good on defense. So Iowa State could get better still, obviously. But I mean, I'm, Oklahoma, I'm talking about as a potential national title team. Do you see Iowa State as a potential national title team? No, but I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa State could win a playoff game. I don't know if they can. Win a playoff I, don't, game. I don't know if I. I don't know if I could see them winning two, but you know, you, to me, I think they're they're talented enough where they can play with just about anybody. So, do you agree with me that one of those two will win the conference? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I'd be stretching if I went off the board. I, here's where I, I'm coming back to on this, and I could be totally wrong. But I felt like last year, obviously Alabama was head and shoulders above everybody else. 
And last year was a weird year, I know. But I don't get the feeling, and I could be totally wrong, but I don't get the feeling there's going to be as big a gap between the best teams in college football and the teams that are, are, are good. You know, you may be right about that. And specifically because what I said, like, this is the year of the super senior. Right. Iowa State is the definition of that. Most teams in the country, if I mean, Bill Connolly puts out his returning production chart, and I think 80% of the country is above what is normally the average. Um, so teams as a whole are more experienced. But you know who's not more experienced? Alabama, Ohio State, uh, the teams that, right. like usual, had a gazillion guys turn pro. So they're still going to be very good. But, yeah, I do think that opens the door possibly for an Iowa State, uh, a Wisconsin who um, is always pretty good or in Iowa state's case, recently pretty good and is super duper experienced, but I don't know. The talent gap is between Iowa state and those top teams, whichever, whoever it turns out to be this year, the Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia group that makes it to the playoff. There's still going to be a pretty big talent gap there. Yeah. I just think none of them at this point have a, have a really proven quarterback, Oklahoma, you know, we think Spencer Rattler is, but you know, Bryce Young, everybody loves him, but he still hasn't really done it in games. I just saw CJ Stroud out in California. I mean, he's talented, but you know, it's like Ohio state doesn't have a proven quarterback. Um, you know, Georgia JT Daniels played some at the end of last year, but it's not like he's where he's certainly not where like Justin Fields was, or, you know, going into the year. So you're so saying feel- this is going to be like the 2007 season. Open open door, anybody can make it. I don't know if I would go that far because I think Alabama, talent-wise, is at a different place than anybody in college football was at that time. Like I feel like USC had started started to wobble a little bit then by 2007. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That was the year they lost us to 41-point underdog Stanford. I think that was the beginning of it. Um. Speaking of Ohio State, uh, on so last week we had, I don't know, when was July 1st now? So when NIL went into effect on July 1st, we had Reggie Bush put out a statement. He wants his Heisman Trophy back. The rules have changed. He wants his Heisman Trophy back. A lot of support for that. You know, he's, I think, 15 years later or whatever it is, people think that he got screwed and all that. And uh, on those heels, on uh, Tuesday, Terrell Pryor, former Ohio State quarterback, puts out a statement signed not just by him, but by the other guys that were involved in the tattoo gate at the time. They want their records back uh, now that NIL is in effect. Um, what do you think? Could, could, should the NCAA go back and retroactively um, clear these guys of things that, that, are, now, that are now allowed? I, th- I thought I saw our friend Ralph Russo tweet something about this where kind of not wagging the finger at it so much, but basically saying, well, if you still broke rules that were the rules back then, should we be wiping our hands of it? Um, is it a slippery slope to this question? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... I mean, first of all, it's not even clear to me that what Reggie Bush is, you know, is more Reggie Bush's family got in trouble for is any more legal today than it was then. Right. Yeah. That wasn't about him signing a deal to market his name, image and likeness. That was just straight up Lloyd Lake, who was, 
you know, had no experience as an agent, was kind of trying to be an agent, giving them a lot of impermissible benefits, right? I'm pretty sure that would be a quote unquote crime in the NCAA today. And then I looked up Ohio State's NIL policy, and it is still against their policy for the players to sell their gear, which is, you know, if you remember, they were trading their their rings and whatnot for for discounts on tattoos. So I don't think that would be legal either. But regardless, like, you know, slippery slope. I mean, I can't even imagine how many, you know, if you go back in the annals, how many players have lost eligibility, had records struck, et cetera, games vacated over simple things that are now no longer rules violation. Remember in basketball this year, Houston made the final four and Kelvin Sampson was, it was his big redemption story. And at the end of the day, the stuff he got in trouble for at uh, Indiana about texting kids is just, is not even in the rule book anymore. So that doesn't mean that they went back and, and changed those records. So I don't see it happening. What I found interesting is Reggie Bush, and you've talked about this on here, you work with him. Is, is a legend uh, in, in college football and revered. And I think that's why there's so much, you know, I don't think people are getting too caught up in the details. There's just a lot of like outpouring of support for him and wanting to see him get his Heisman back. I don't get the sense Terrell Pryor is like one of the all-time revered Ohio State Buckeyes. And so that statement on Tuesday morning just kind of was met with a big dud. Um, he was kind of a... Uh, divisive figure even before all the tattoo stuff happened. And then obviously he didn't leave on great terms. So um, I would like to see the Heisman trust give Reggie his Heisman back because it's stupid that he had to give it back in the first place. OJ Simpson still has his Heisman as many, many people have pointed out. Uh, There have been Heisman winners who have sold their Heismans. Just give the guy's trophy back. Don't, don't hide behind the, Oh, you know, our ballot says this and the NCA. So we're going to just leave it up to the NCA. Just it's your, it's your award. You can do what you want with it. Give it back to them. Yeah. And I, I think that they were basically passing the buck. They were on that. And that's, you know, whatever. I mean, would there I be think- any, if let's, if, if they came out and announced tomorrow, you know, we've thought about it. And even though, by the strict NCA letter of the law, he wasn't eligible. Um, we think he's served his time and we're giving him back. Is Who would be on the other side of that? I don't even think Vince Young, who was the runner-up, would be like, no, don't do that. No, I'm sure Vince Young wouldn't make a no. big deal about that. I don't um, think anybody would be like, oh, you've ruined the sanctity of the Heisman by giving him his Heisman back. No, I'm sure there would be some person in social media who would be outraged and raise a stink about it, but... No, I think you would be overwhelmingly positive reaction at this point. Yeah. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite-free. You see that? 
this. A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. We promised it last time. It's way overdue. We, we asked you for mailbag questions. You delivered. As always, you send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. This first from, from Duran Booch. That's why we asked you guys to phonetics, phonetics, please. It's either Booch or Book. I don't know. Duran, we'll just stick with your first name. Although I might have got that wrong, too. It could be Darren. We could have just butchered your name every possible way. We all know one of college football's biggest problems is the fatigue of the same teams making the playoffs each year. So let's have a little fun. Compose the most likely team to play, make the, the most likely team to make the playoffs this year with the twist that you can only choose among the teams who have never previously made the playoffs. He said teams, not teams. So I think he's asking for a four team playoff field this year of this year's teams, none of whom have made the playoff before. Based on our Big 12 conversation, I think I know who one of yours is. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to do this kind of, except for that one. Um, out of my head. So, well, I'll give you one. Oregon's already been in the playoff, by the way. So, have, yeah. So, if you're if you're kind of juggling, you'd have to juggle a little bit. Like the, to me, this isn't Florida's not been in the playoff, and I don't know if this is the year for them. They lost some really, you know, one great player and some really good players. The obvious answer, just based on how they last season ended would be Texas A&M. Do you have enough faith to put them in this hypothetical field? I don't because they're going to have a new quarterback. They got to replace, you know, they have good skill guys, but they have to replace a lot of offensive linemen and a quarterback who played a ton of football. So I don't have that much faith in them to do that. Um, Okay. My nominee is Wisconsin, who I think is going to be bounced back and be very good this year with Graham Mertz back at quarterback and are always good on defense. Now the trick for them has been they get into the big 10 title game. They can't beat Ohio state. So this is dependent on Ohio state being a little bit more vulnerable than they have been in recent years. Although frankly, they were kind of vulnerable last year. So it's not, it's not that big a stretch. Okay. So that's, can you name who, who else would you rank in your, have the best chance to, to crack it for the first time? The Cincinnati Bearcats. Okay, that's fair. Now, the problem is we we have a Big 12 team, a Big 10 team, and an AAC team. We know there will be an SEC team in the playoff. So many of them have already been in the playoff, though. So we need an SEC team that's, that, that is capable of winning the SEC championship this year that's never been in the playoff, and you so don't want to it's either Florida or A&M, right? I don't have any faith in Florida at all. I think that's a big... Big ask after after losing Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, yeah. all those other receivers. And they were really um, bad on defense last year. Correct. So, I don't know. I mean, A&M, yes, there's the question in quarterback, but they've got an absolutely stacked backfield. They're going to be very good on defense. Like, why you couldn't they? Max, you were talking about. Yes. Why couldn't they kind of employ the Notre Dame, the recent Notre Dame formula of just ball control, play good defense, slide their way into the, into the field. 
Because Notre Dame's not in the SEC West still. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, I like your Cincinnati pick. I don't know if they can. If they I can don't know if it's possible for them to make yeah. it, but they're good uh, enough. Okay, so now let's jockey a few in here. Uh, Wisconsin. That's a good. That's a good one. Um, you feel any real shot for USC? I mean, Keaton Slovis is certainly capable of doing great things. Um, and it's not like, you know, I do think Oregon will be very good. I don't think they're necessarily untouchable in that conference. So, you know, that's possible. I don't think I would have them ahead of Iowa State or Cincinnati. No, Would you yeah. have them ahead of North Carolina or Miami? Mm, that's a great one. Those are two really good ones. Um, the problem there is Clemson. Do you see UNC or Miami beating Clemson in the ACC title game? I don't see it, but I don't know. Is there going to be a time where we're going to see Clemson go nine and three in the the near future, in the near future? Maybe it'll be this year. They played Georgia in the first game. There's your first loss Um, that they're, they have lost even in their national championship year, right? Then they lose to Pitt, right? They're not a, they're not above stubbing their toe in the regular season, and then so then they go into the ACC title game with two losses and they lose to Miami. I think the yeah, hesitation my- is that Miami went in there pretty highly ranked last year and got just destroyed. Um, yeah. But I do think Miami. We talked about them on here with the transfer portal pickups with Derek King uh, has a chance to be pretty good. So well, I don't know. You want to put them in there? Not ready to go there. Uh, Not ready to go. So, you, so you're keeping Iowa State, Wisconsin, Cincinnati before you would go. I mean, you, that fourth team has to be an SEC team. There's no unless you think the SEC champ's going to be nine and three this year. I will defer on to Texas A&M on that if you have to. I just okay. don't feel great about new, you know, rebuilt O line, new quarterback. So let me ask you a question. Everybody complains about, oh, I'm so tired of seeing the same teams over and over again. I want new blood. I knew want new blood. You work in sports TV. If the final four this year were Iowa State, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, and Texas A&M, would the TV ratings be better, about the same, or worse, or significantly worse than usual? I think that would be worse because yep. there is no – like if USC was one of the new newcomers, I think that would be different. You know, Wisconsin, Cincinnati are definitely regionalized, especially Iowa State is too. I mean, I think they would be atrocious. And I'm not saying that we should root against it for that reason. But my point is, everybody complains about they're tired of this. It's just like what's going on in the NBA right now. Like, oh, I'm sick of seeing the Warriors Cavs every year. And then it's Suns Bucks and it's a great, it's two great teams. and, And it's down something, some significant percentage from, from 2019. I think it takes a while for people to kind of, unless you're an NBA fan, I don't think you know who, who Devin, know Booker is. Devin Booker Yeah, I don't I think you know much. Like the, the Suns are a really fun team to watch. This is an NBA fan. They are very entertaining. Um, the Bucks. I'm not sure how many people, and maybe I'm not, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not sure how many people know how good Chris Middleton is, right? Like, I think sometimes like he's been in the NBA for a long time. He's a really good player. Like, I don't know if they know a ton about Drew Holiday. I mean, they think they know, 
Giannis, obviously. But so I feel like when it comes to stuff like that, I also think that people give a shit about TV ratings supposedly now. Like, when did people care about this who are not like people who work for TV companies? Twitter became a big Twitter thing. Everybody's always tweeting about TV ratings. And then there are people who make fun of the people who tweet about TV ratings. But I'll tell you this much. I tweet about TV ratings a lot in terms of college football, and they always get a big response. So somebody cares. I think the ideal scenario for a not just TV, but just like fan, you know, I'm excited about this perspective. Well, frankly, it happened two years ago. LSU making it for the first time with Joe Burrow, like was a TV programmer's dream. Um, and so um, what I'm saying is I think your ideal field would be you need you need at least two of those big national blue blood names. We'll say Alabama and Ohio State. Then one equivalent of LSU that year, which I'll say is USC, you know, blue blood mm-hmm. team that hasn't been that good lately. And then give us one quote unquote Cinderella, which in this case would be Iowa State. I would take it. All right. Book it. Um. Dear Bruce and Stu, first time asked, long time listener. This is Matthew Ruskin. Thank you, Matthew. As a Hokie fan, where do you see Virginia Tech pulling the parachute on Fuente? Or does he somehow do enough to anger all Hokie fans by being just good enough to hang on? It's the Clay Helton uh, uh, dilemma at Virginia Tech, apparently. Yeah, it's 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 different in a regard that like Clay Helton was there to really stabilize the program. And, and instead, you had a you have a first time head coach who I think a lot of USC fans didn't think should have ever had the job. Whereas at Virginia tech, you're replacing a legend in Frank Beamer and you hired a guy who did a really good job at Memphis and got off to a fast start. But then like, I'd be lying if I had, like, I feel like I know way less about Virginia tech football now than I did at at any point in like the last 20 years. Like, I feel like, being cautious in how I word this, like, I don't, I don't want to say I don't feel they're as relevant as they were before, but I, I don't know if it's a combination of Clemson rising up and becoming a superpower um, in that part of the country. I don't know what has changed for me. Just like they're a very inconsistent program though. They just haven't been relevant in, in a while. And um I've got my Athlon sitting here and we do this in the state of the programs too, but you know, I love the anonymous opposing coach uh, scouting report. Uh-huh. This one's, this one's pretty, pretty harsh. Um, this is just a, an excerpt. You cannot, this is about Virginia tech, just to be clear. You cannot survive on the portal. You have to sign and develop players. Their reliance on transfers is the big warning sign. I don't think they have the same presence in Virginia and the DMV they've had. They, they had even when things slid off in Frank Beamer's last year's. And then later it says, schematically, the defense is a mess. They're trying to marry multiple schemes. You can see some of Bud Foster stuff, then other stuff, then back to Bud. It looks like an absence of a decision, honestly. Um, I think that Justin Puente has, you know, had a, had a, I mean, whoever had to follow Frank Beamer, right, was going to face an uphill challenge. Then he actually got off to a decent start and people thought, okay, this was a great plan to, keep Bud Foster, but bring in somebody from the outside. And then it's just kind of crumbled. Yeah. I mean, there was definite 
um, rumblings that they may make a coaching change last year. You know, it felt like it was maybe it wasn't as touch and go as the way, you know, behind the scenes I was hearing about it. If they hadn't beaten Virginia, if they hadn't come back in the last game to beat Virginia, even though they still finished with a losing record, you think he's gone? Uh, I think he might have been. They, they would never been four. That. They would have yeah. been four and seven with and with their second straight loss to their rival after dominating them for like fifteen years. So, I yeah. think he's on pretty thin ice. Um, I don't know what the magic number is, but wins. But he seems to be on one of the hottest seats in the country. Yeah, it's just like what's the identity there right now? Like you felt like when Frank Beamer was there, we're so built on special teams, and because he had such roots there, um, and he had he. Yeah, I mean, there's just a, there, that program had an identity. I don't know if I feel like it has one now. Speaking of struggling ACC programs, Chris Fingerlow from Buffalo, New York. Hey, Stu and Bruce, love the pod. Thanks for consistently doing it throughout the offseason. Sorry we didn't consistently do it last week, Clint, but uh, happy to help. He says, I'm a big Florida State fan and I wanted to know what should be a reasonable expectation from them for this year. Also, who do you think the starting QB will be this year? Does Mackenzie Milton have any shot at starting? By all indications, he does have a shot at starting. Yeah, even, I know. Even bringing him to ACC Media Days. Which is a good sign that you would think he would have a big role there. Um, yeah. You know, they, you mentioned the the story Max and I did, Max Olson and I did about the transfer portal and, and all the impact transfers. FSU has a ton of guys on that list. Um, just looking at them now, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think Mike Norvell, like he's a right now. They are they were super aggressive in hitting the ground running. Come, uh, you know, June one recruiting wise, and I feel like they have a lot of ground to make up. You know, not not saying that from just from him, but I just feel like in general, um, from where that program has been, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I I feel like they're still a ways away from being a top 10 caliber team. Like, I feel like, I don't think Miami is there. Oh, I don't think they're they They went three and six last year. I don't think top 10s on the horizon just yet. No, but what I'm saying is like, you know, I hesitated to say whether Miami could be a first time, you know, get in the playoff. Yeah. Like, I feel like Miami is a, is, has, is that one big step that, Florida state now is going to need to take where I feel like Miami is a legitimate top 25, maybe top 15 team like Florida state. Like they, I feel like they're a year away from being able to talk about stuff like that. Florida state has gone through so much turmoil the last few years. Clearly things were falling off a cliff with Jimbo. And then the next guy only lasted two years. There's been endless people transferring in and out of there, but I think really the key will be, whoever the quarterback is, whether it's uh, Jordan Travis or whether it's Mackenzie Milton, you know, can they, will that guy play at a pretty high level because they've got skill talent. They always do. Um, I don't know. They, they probably have a lot more ground to make up on defense. So, I mean, I think a reasonable expectation is just go to, just get to 500 and go to a bowl yeah. game. Can we do this? I'm, I'm going to throw the games at you and the way they break, I do not think looks appetizing. Okay. Open up with Notre Dame. I don't think that's a great matchup. That's not for them. Good. Jacksonville State should beat them. Then they go to Wake Forest. 
We have a Wake that, Forest mailbag question waiting. I don't think that's a gimme. You know, Hartman's a good quarterback. Dave Clawson's a really good coach. They have some weapons. Uh, then they play Louisville at home, Syracuse at home. Then they go to at North Carolina. Then they play UMass. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before you get too far ahead of yourself, after that stretch of Notre Dame, Jacksonville State, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Syracuse, is there any reason why they wouldn't be three and two? I think Louisville's pretty good. I think they're pretty talented. I mean, I think they should they shouldn't be worse than two and three. Right. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that they beat Wake Forest or Louisville. Not a slam dunk, but I'm going to give them one or the other. Okay, so you give them you, you give them three and two. Let's yeah. do that. Then they go to North Carolina. I don't That's think you think they're beating Sam House. That's now they're three and three at the midway point. They play. They sandwich road trips between North Carolina and Clemson. They have UMass, who's terrible, so they'll win the that. The return of Walt Bell to Tallahassee. There you go. And then they'll play Clemson. They'll probably lose that badly. Then they play. Well, so at that point, they're four and four, and we're hitting the home stretch here. And here's the problem for them. So at, coming off Clemson, which is not going to be like a cakewalk, you know, like it's going to be a physical game. Then they have NC State, who's pretty good. Miami, who's who's better than pretty good. At BC, who's not going to be an easy team to play. And then at Florida. They could lose all of those. I mean, if you're given a, I mean, I think at that point they could be looking at five and seven. Yeah. So my initial going through it, I come out to five and seven. So then it's just a matter of, okay, Mike Norvell, the guy who worked wonders at Memphis, show us you can knock off some of these teams that on paper, at least it doesn't look like you're going to beat. Like, I mean, frankly, Florida state, if their Florida State should win at Boston College, I know we think Boston College is going to be pretty good this year, but that shouldn't. There's no world where that should be a Florida State has no chance kind of game, right? NC State is a weird program. <laughs> Dave Doran continues to just survive, not even survive, but he's not in any sort of job jeopardy in any way. And yet, name the last signature NC State win in football. Uh, they beat somebody really good with Dave Doran. Who was it? They did. Yeah, I'm almost positive they had a. They beat somebody. I, I mean, would... they've had a lot of almost. They've had a couple almost against Clemson. No, I think they beat somebody good, like in the last three years. Hang on a second. Uh, my sense is they beat the teams they're supposed to, and they lose to the toss up. They have they beat two top twenty five teams last year, but you would not you'd be surprised who they were. One was Liberty, the other was Pitt. But that's Pitt, the, Pitt was in the top twenty five at one point last year. I forgot about that. Yes. Um, who was it? I think it was twenty eighteen. Maybe they beat somebody good. Well, the fact that you have to go back to twenty eighteen is not a good sign. No, it's not. It's not. Um. I thought they beat somebody good. I mean, they had they had by their standards a pretty good season last year. They went seven and three in the ACC, and they lost to Kentucky in the bowl game. I think Kentucky was four and six. It's it's just they're just not very they're just very average. Yeah, they beat all a way of saying Florida State should be able to beat them. They beat uh, Louisville and FSU, who were top twenty teams the year before. But that's not you're you're more right than I was on that. So. Well, that was quite the tangent. Um, so. Sorry about that. Drew, Kiwa Island, South Carolina, which I went to as a kid on vacation. Um, what's that? 
Did you guys golf there when you went? No, I mean, I was like 10. I, I don't think I, maybe we probably, we probably played mini golf. Okay. <laughs> he actually asked three questions. I, I picked this one. SMU has been in the news a lot lately because they keep getting recruits that you wouldn't think would go to SMU. It's been really uh, something to behold. What does SMU need to do to take the jump from good to great in the AAC? The high school recruiting has picked up tremendously. There may not be a hotter school on the trail at the moment, but let's just hone in on 21, 2021 and 2022 for a second to the Mustangs. have what it takes to compete for an AAC title. Uh, didn't they, they came pretty close a couple years yeah. ago. All right. So I think they have a tricky road schedule. Here's the deal just from looking it up. So they got to go to TCU. That's a big deal game, right? Because it's the DFW game. They got to go to Houston. They got to go to Memphis and they got to go to Cincinnati. They also play UCF and Tulsa, you know, at home. That's a lot. Um, I think Sonny Dykes has been a great fit at SMU as you mentioned, I mean, he's not just gotten transfers. He's gotten really good high school players out of Texas. And they should be really good. I think they have three receivers now who are all, you know, freaks kinds of guys. I'll say that. Um, I just don't know if they can go through that schedule. And, you know, you can basically only afford one slip up there. Would I rattle off five opponents at at? TCU at Navy at Houston at Memphis at Cincinnati. Well, remember, there's no divisions in the AAC right now, and they just they just got to make it into that top two and get into the title game. You know, I assume we probably think uh, Cincinnati will be waiting on the other end, but who knows? Mm -hmm. But I would agree. I think this is a tough road. They're going to be breaking a new quarterback this year. Um, but I think that the way they're recruiting and the way he is kind of He's just, he's done a great job of, and frankly, I didn't see it coming. I mean, I like Sonny Dykes a lot. I've dealt with him a lot, but you know, he did nothing special at Cal. Uh, but like, this is his home, you know, this is his, his familiar territory. He's just done a great job of, of giving that program an identity. They, he is making them Dallas's team. Um, and Dallas kids are now staying home to play for them. And so I would, I think that if he continues on this trajectory, they will win the AAC in the next couple of years. I I'm with you though. I don't think that schedule sets up well to do it this year. Yeah. I mean, look, I, Sonny did a good job at Louisiana tech. I think it was a weird fit at a weird place with Cal. Um, and he landed in a good spot at, at SMU. So um, if there's the schedule, job, he said, he always, he said he always had his eye on, he always thought that there was a lot of potential there from his, you know, from he, he's the son of a, a Texas coach. He coached in Texas for a long time and he just thought that, you know, the right person could, could be doing more what they're doing now. The last one, Bruce is probably the most important question we've ever received in the audibles inbox. And it's from Adrian Danny. Stu and Bruce love you guys. Love the pod. Love the athletic. Thank you, Adrian. Can we get more in depth on the coaching carousel that led to Bruce stepping in as the play caller for the final three games of first grade football? <laughs> you told that story a few weeks ago and honestly he's not the only one that asked um do we really want to go with this um so i was helping out along with a couple other dads but um our head coach um had a like i'm trying to remember what happened it was a sunday morning i had a text i think he had some he had a work deal that he had to go go drive somewhere you know, like an hour away and he wasn't going to make our game. 
so at that point, um, you know, I was just kind of jumped in. We here's here's the deal. And this is again, I hesitate to go too far down the road of first grader football, but like when you first get out there, you do not know what most of your kids, almost any of your kids, can do. Um, you know, I don't I didn't even know what like my son and one of his buddies were on the team. I kind of knew a little about what they could do, but I really didn't even know. Like, um, you know, as the year went on, like I realized like late in the year, we had a game where we were down like two of our better players and my son on defense had been a cornerback and he had to play safety. And I was like, he actually played better at safety than I, a lot better than I expected. Um, But just seemed like he was, it was probably a better fit for our defense to have him back there. Um, But so you're, you're kind of finding out what kids can do. At, at that point, pardon my ignorance. What does a first grade safety do? I can't imagine he's like reading the quarterback's eyes and no, most, you know, maybe that other team throws two passes against you, but it's really about, there's a bunch of misdirection stuff and little kids eyes can easily get in the wrong place. Let's say that. Okay. So, I mean, as a cornerback, you just want him, do not let anybody get outside of you force everything inside. So, but to, to get back to the offense part, um, you know, we started, I think it was like, okay, half the challenge is, can we find somebody who can snap the ball consistently? And then the other challenges are, you're just, you know, you never know what exactly is going to work for you that day. You don't have, you know, you're struggling to find much of an identity or whatever, but at least you can be a little more consistent with it. So, um, so in that game, that was the switch to that. So, and then they liked it so much. You just stayed on. No, like that game, we ended up winning. Um, and it wasn't like it was a masterful offensive, you know, play calling game or whatever, but we ended up winning that game. And then um, the next game, I want to say we were down, you know, two of our best players, like the kid who I would think is our best player. He went with his family to Arizona. And then one of our other good players um, had a baseball game. Uh, my son had a baseball game too, but he chose to play the football game. But um, and then, you know, we had one other game, so it wasn't like all of a sudden we turned out to be, um, you know, we were not the Oregon ducks of, of 2010 or anything like that either on offense. All right. Well, if you have any other questions about the first grade team or about actual college football, which we got a lot of great ones this week, thank you guys. Send them to the audible pod at gmail.com. Bruce, enjoy I already know. I've seen the pictures. You've already been to Papacitos at least once. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good work there. We're going uh, the second time now with my, I, with I my athletic colleagues. There you go. Enjoy Big 12 Media Days. Next week is like, uh, it's like every conference is having media days all at the same time. So, you know, as Steve Spurrier always called it, it is talking season is officially here. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.